Welcome to our continuing Bible study as we are working our way through the book of Revelation. Uh, today I want to pick up in chapter 7 and I'll only read verses 1 through 4. And that's where uh, the focus of our, our study will be. Uh, after I saw uh, four, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth. Uh, and see, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now, chapter 7 is an interval between the opening of the sixth and the seventh seal. We'll see something similar to that when we come to the vision of the trumpets. The, there's an interlude between the blowing of the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. And Dennis Johnson has noted uh, two things concerning what he calls the interval visions. And so what we'll be looking at is the first of those interval, interval uh, series of visions. But I want to uh, just kind of look at uh, the two points that he makes or the two observations that he makes as being the purpose for these interval, interval visions between the sixth and the seventh seal and the sixth and the seventh trumpet. In the first place, he says these uh, interlude visions reassure the church that the woes inflicted on rebellious humanity may affect them, but these things cannot sever us from God's protective care. So these, this cycle or these uh, interlude visions, and we'll see it when we get to the next one, they affirm the security and the status of God's redeemed people even as they go through uh, these periods of trial. Secondly, he says, the interludes dramatize the delay of the final judgment, uh, which, of course, is really sort of looked at in, or it's, it's kind of a reflection of the martyr's lament in chapter 6, verse 10, how long, O Lord? So they're presented as a dramatic preparation for the final judgment and the consummation judgment and reward. So that's sort of the twofold purpose. Uh, number one, to affirm the security of God's people and to sort of bring out the drama of the climactic event of the ultimate and consummate judgment of the wicked and the ultimate and consummate uh, salvation and redemption of the redeemed. So what we'll do today is look at the first four verses, even though we'll make reference to verses all the way actually down to verse 7 or verse 8. I'm just not going to read all of the tribes that are mentioned there. 
because uh, chapter 7 consists of two visions. It's two separate visions, and one of the other things that, um, that, that Dennis Johnson points out is that the order in which they are, occur are not, or the, the order, I should say, in which they are recorded is not necessarily the order in which they, uh, the, the events occur, the events that are symbolized. And we'll touch on that in a moment. So we'll begin in chapter 7 with the first vision. And the first vision actually consists of verses 1 through 8. Uh, verses uh, 5 through 8 really is just a naming of the 12 tribes, which we're not going to get to. Uh, now, in this first vision, what John sees is four angels, four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Now, I should pause here for a moment. That does not mean the earth is flat or square. Obviously, that is a figure of speech in speaking of the four compass points, the four directions, north, east, south, and west. That's what's being alluded to. So I hope no one would read this, number one, literally, uh, and secondly, from a literal reading, assume that the Bible affirms a flat earth. That is simply a figure of speech in the same way that we use figure of speech when we speak of the rising and the setting of the sun, because the sun does not rise, nor does it set. The earth actually revolves around the sun. And so it gives the appearance of, you know, obviously in the day we see the sun and as the earth continues its axis or continues its, uh, to revolve on its axis, then it turns away from the sun and that's what brings on darkness. But the sun does not rise and it does not set. But that's a figure of speech and everyone who hears that phrase knows that it's a figure of speech if you know anything about science. So John is not saying that the earth is flat, but what he is affirming is that there is an angelic being positioned at each of the four compass points, east, east and west, north and south. And these angels have been given the assignment of restraining from the earth um, the winds, the four winds of, of destruction. So they, they, they are assigned uh, at the four corners of the earth, restraining, uh, restraining the four winds from total destruction of earth, uh, earth and sea until another angel comes uh, who marks the servants of the Lord. So that's basically what's taking place. And the implication or what's shown in that imagery is it's as if now in the, the six seals that we saw this each of the seals was uh, was was uh, was opened with a command and the command that came from the angel was to send forth these horsemen so what basically is being portrayed here especially in light of the sixth seal with the destruction that takes place in the earth, is that it's as if the angels are assigned to make sure that the disturbances and disorders that take place in the earth will not have an overwhelming effect on certain people. So there's restraint. 
and the imagery is, is uh, carrying the idea that everything that takes place that is portrayed in the seals is under the sovereign rule of the Lamb. So from a human vantage point, it may seem as this, you know, it's just kind of reckless and that is there's no order. But in actuality, God has ordered or the Lamb is, is ordering what is to take place and even establishing the restraints or the boundaries for these things to take place. So the angel, the, the uh, a fifth angel, has been given the responsibility in verses 3 and 4 of sealing the servants of God so that whatever is experienced within the, the earth and the sea and all of the and, and the winds, that it would have a limited impact or effect on the servants of God. Now this act of sealing the servants of God and the security of God's people, which is what's symbolized here, as we've already indicated, it, it and we've already emphasized that this is a reminder that God's people will actually go through these seasons and God himself establishes how far these things will, uh, or the, the, how far their impact will reach. So this affirms this very sealing, and we're gonna go into that in greater detail in a moment, but uh, this greater sealing, this sealing, this physical, the, the imagery of this physical sealing on the foreheads of God's people is intended to reaffirm, and we have to keep driving it home every time it appears, even in symbolic form. We have to affirm over and over and over again to the people of God the security of what has been procured for us by the blood of the Lamb. Because any number of these incidents that occur, and as we pointed out in the seals, the, the, the cycle of vision on the seals, this is not a matter of this is going to happen and then this is going to happen. What's really, these things are simultaneous and cyclical. So any one of them would be enough to cause us to wonder, as the martyrs in chapter 6, verse 10, how long, O Lord, but the combination of these things and then happening over and over again, we certainly would feel like maybe, maybe we've sinned too much, maybe we didn't believe or say the right thing. And so these, these indications, especially in these interlude visions, it's a, it's a reminder to the people of God of the security that we have because our faith is in Christ. And this security is symbolized in the seal or the mark that is put on the people of God. Now what we'll see in later chapters is, and, and, and it's interesting by the way, how this is outlined. Because if you ask even church going people, the greatest fear or concern about the book of Revelation, everyone knows about the mark of the beast. And everyone talks about the mark of the beast. But long before we get to the manifestation of satanic rule in this, even though it's limited, satanic rule within the earth and then a whole a beast and, and its prophet and everything that's associated with it, what John has done in these early chapters is establish the security of God's people. So the mark of the beast is really an imitation 
to the mark of the lamb. In the same way that the even the imagery that's used to and the symbols for the beast, uh, there's there's a, it's an imitation of the Trinity. It's an imitation of the crucifixion of Christ. There's an imitation of his resurrection, and so the beast imitates the mark of the lamb. So the security for the people of God is that we are sealed by the lamb, and there is no fear of the beast. So what we see in this first vision, and as I mentioned, and we'll probably see it more when we get towards the, the second vision in this chapter of why what's recorded at the end of chapter 7 precedes what is uh, recorded in this first vision. But in any event, as we see, the angels, four angels, controlling the winds, and then the fifth angel marking the people of God, the servants of God, as the uh, destructions uh, represented by these four angels and the four horsemen and others as they, as they are restrained uh, until the, 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 the fifth angel marks the, the servants of God. So let's look at this. What is the, the significance? We'll begin by looking at the significance of the seal of God's servants. The significance of the seal of God's servants. We are told in chapter 14, because this very same number is repeated in chapter 14. So if you look over in chapter 14 for a moment, and we'll refer to it off and on. But in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. The, the number of 144,000 is repeated here in chapter 14 because those that are mentioned in chapter 14 are the same ones alluded to here in chapter 7. Therefore, we conclude that the seal of the, of the people of God is the name of Christ or the Lamb and the name of God. And I would add that this outward marking is symbolic because it is, in other words, God is not going to physically mark us with a mark. Neither will the beast physically mark those who are, who are his servants or who worship him. There is no physical mark. But especially as it relates to uh, this particular passage, the mark of the Lamb is the imprint of the name of the Father and of the Lamb on the, the foreheads of the people of God, and it corresponds to the actual sealing of the servants of God with the Holy Spirit. So this is an outward physical manifestation of an inward spiritual sealing in chapter uh, in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1 uh, Paul says this about and, and really it refers to all believers it says in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the whole with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee 
of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Uh, Paul speaks in other places concerning the, um, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So this outward sealing of the name of the Father and of the Lamb on the foreheads of the people of God or the servants of God is symbolic. It's an outward symbolic expression of the inward spiritual reality, which is the sealing of God's people by the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we see here in verse 4, we are told that the number of those who are sealed is 144,000. And and by the way, this sealing of, of God's people is, is, is alluded to in other places, but it, it alludes not to a select group of people, but to all of the people of God. So here's the question about this 144,000. In verse 4, um, it says that the number that are sealed is that of is, is 144,000. And the text says that they are from the tribes of of the sons of Israel. And so obviously when we think of the sons of Israel, we think of the 12 tribes of Israel. And I want to give just an overview, a brief overview of how dispensational, those who uh, are, are dispensational in their orientation, how they interpret this 144,000. We know Jehovah's Witness have their view of the 144,000. But in dispensational uh, theology, they maintain that the 144,000 representing the 12 tribes of Israel represents a remnant of ethnic Jews that are brought to faith in Christ after the church has been raptured. Now, I grew up in dispensational, um, with dispensational teaching. And I remember hearing that, but it was really brought home to me uh, a few years ago when I got a letter, and this was, uh, we were coming up on some big hurricane, and uh, I received a letter from an organization of churches, the League of Churches, and it was actually, I, I'm not, I don't want to say they were Southern Baptist, but I think it was a Southern, yeah, it was a Southern Baptist pastor who was sending this letter to other Southern Baptist churches encouraging me as a pastor to speak to uh, our leadership so that we could deed or, or will our building to Jews who would be saved af after we were raptured away. So he wanted us to change. I still have it. I've, I've got to find it. It's in my desk. I must preserve that letter because uh, I couldn't believe I received it. But it was admonishing Christian churches to put it in a will that our building, our facilities would be left for Jews during the period of tribulation after the church has been raptured away and the Jews that, the ethnic Jews that would be saved would be saved and so they would have churches to, to go to. Well, that's part and parcel to dispensational theology. Let me make clear, and we will address it when it comes to that point of the return, because really there's no place in Revelation that addresses a secret rapture. 
the idea that the church would be taken away in a secret rapture prior to the physical return of Christ to the earth is not biblical. The only place the word uh, rapture appears in the scriptures is in 2 Thessalonians when Paul talks about Jesus coming. And when he comes, those who are alive, uh, those who are dead, will be raised from the grave, and those who are alive will meet him in the air. We'll talk about what that actually means. And it says they will, will be raptured, will be caught away, and meet him in the air. That's the only place where the term actually appears. Uh, so this idea of a secret rapture really goes against the grain of Scripture. For one thing, logically, if Jesus is going to come back in a secret, secret rapture, then the, his final coming will be his third, not his second. And the scriptures speak of a second coming, not, you know, not uh, an interim period. Um, so it's, it's just antithetical. Furthermore, as we've already made clear, this period of, of tribulation is a continual thing. It's a cyclical thing. And so I know there is, and we'll deal with it in greater detail when we get to that portion where it speaks of this three-and-a-half-year period of, 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 of tribulation. I do believe that it would be clear and consistent with Scripture to say that prior to the second coming of Christ, there will be an intensifying of animosity of the beast against the church or the people of God. There will be an intensifying of the evil that's already present. But that, that it's only an intensifying of that which is already taking place. So the, the whole idea of the church and the, 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 uh, the important thing there is that there will always be Christians in the world until the Lord returns. There's no, there's no indication that we will not somehow be present when these things occur. So here are some things to consider to offset that view in light of what the scripture actually says here. Here's some things to consider. The people that will be sealed are the 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel, and that means 12,000 from each tribe. The first thing to note there is that the number 144,000 must be a symbolic number. I mean, it, it must be. Because we know in other places that the number of the saints are not counted. So that number is being used for symbolic purposes. So as we look into it, first thing is the notice the way the tribes are listed. And I think the key, one of the, the keys, and I'm not going to go into great detail on the, the names and the listing, but the the way the tribes begin, Judah is not the firstborn. So the way the tribes are listed here does not correspond to any other listing of the 12 tribes. Not any, no, nowhere in the Old Testament are the 12 tribes listed in this way. Now, I believe it's, it's, re, it's listed the way they are for a purpose, but you notice, and we'll come back to this in a moment, that Judah leads the list. And that should be the red flag that tells us that this isn't just an ordinary listing 
of the 12 tribes. Something else is, is, going, is, is taking place here. The second thing to note is not just the way the tribes are listed, but the ceiling of the 144,000 actually corresponds to the promise that Jesus makes to all who overcome as he is addressing the church in Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. Let's look there for a moment. This is what Jesus says, um, and, and one reason this is so important is because when he talks about the tribes of Israel, he's also in conjunction with this promise of, of sealing them with his name. It corresponds to the New Jerusalem. So in chapter 3, verse 12 in addressing the church of Philadelphia, Jesus says, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. Now, this corresponds to what we saw in chapter 14, that the 144,000 warriors portrayed with Christ in chapter 14 are sealed with the name of the Father and sealed with the name of the Lamb. That's what Jesus says here. The emphasis being on the New Jerusalem. And the concept of the New Jerusalem is that it's not a one-to-one -one correlation to national Israel, but to what national Israel represented. So the first key that something is different is that the tribes are, are begin not with the firstborn of Jacob, or, or not the firstborn of Israel, but it begins with Judah. Uh, the sons of, of Isaac, they don't begin with, uh, he's, uh, Judah wasn't the firstborn, but, but the first one listed here is Judah. And remember, the lion, the, the one who, the, the lamb, is from the, the tribe of Judah. But secondly, the promise of the name of God written on the foreheads is given to all who conquer. And all who conquer are associated with the New Jerusalem. So obviously, this is a symbolic number. But a third thing, in chapter 14, where the 144,000 are called the army of the Lamb, they are called in chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, they are called those who have been purchased of God and who have, redeemed, have been redeemed by God from the earth. And as we learn in chapter 5, verse 9, that means those who are, or those who are purchased by the blood of the Lamb are from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. So when we put this together, those who are led by the tribe of Judah are the New Jerusalem made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who are sealed by the Holy Spirit 
and purchased by the blood of the Lamb. The other thing that we see in chapter 14, it identifies these 144,000 as having not been defiled by women. In other words, they, they are called virgins. Well, one of the reasons for that is because, again, there is an intentional link and an intentional correlation to the armies of Israel, to arm, the armies of national Israel. You remember in the tragic story of David and Bathsheba, when David uh, slept with another man's wife, and that man that, whose, whose wife uh, he slept with was a soldier, was one of David's mighty warriors, and he was in the field of battle. And when David, trying to cover up his sin, calls Uriah home, he wants him to sleep with his wife. And you remember in that story, Uriah refuses to sleep with his wife because he is a soldier engaged in warfare. And that same language is used when David brings his men to the temple and they get ready, uh, the soldiers or the men that are with him, and he wants to feed them from the showbread. And he tells, he tells the priest that these men have not been defiled. So the image here is not just of the purity, the spiritual purity of the people of God, but this, 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 cord, this coordination of the, these soldiers really portrayed as an army and having been or, or being described as virgins indicate that these 144,000 is a symbolic representation of the people of God engaged in warfare. It's spiritual warfare. Well, that brings us then to the fifth and final point here that brings it all together. Seeing that um, the 144,000 that are preserved from, or uh, they are protected from the ultimate destruction of the things that come on the earth, who is it that's preserved? Those who are preserved are those who are sealed, those who are sealed with the name of, the, of, of God and of the Lamb on their forehead is symbolic of those who are sealed with the Holy Spirit internally. Those who are sealed by the Spirit have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. They are portrayed as militant, as an army in chapter 14, as with any nation, when a nation is at war, it's as if the whole nation is at war. So we speak of American troops. And the rea but the reality is, every American is not in the field. So these 12,000 from each tribe, it, it, it portrays the church militant during this period of tribulation and trial, but they are secure because they have been redeemed by the Lamb. The militancy of the church is portrayed in that 144,000, and it's sort of an answer to the question raised by the martyrs. How long, O oh Lord, is our blood going to be wasted in vain? 
And so the 144,000 portrayed as a conquering army in chapter 14 is to remind the martyrs that everyone will not be martyred, but there is a core of the people of God that he has equipped for a particular level of engagement against the enemy. But the point being, in this first vision of security to the people of God during the period of great tribulation is that the people of God are secure because they've been purchased by the blood. And that which has been purchased by the blood is sealed by the Spirit. Therefore, this is not some secret number. This is not only the righteous. This isn't the 144,000 are not 144,000 by their own merits who have earned anything. Actually, it's a symbolic number of the whole of everyone who overcomes in Christ, everyone whose faith is in Christ and who is sealed by his spirit is secured from the ultimate calamities and destructions that will be unleashed within the earth. Now, I know that that's going to raise a lot of questions, and we do admonish you. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate. Call the church, send them, you can email them, and we will take on those particular questions. But the point that we do want to make is that the book of Revelation is intended for our comfort, and we can't, we can't allow even the disturbing things that we see, we can't allow those things to disturb our, con our, our comfort and our confidence. The purpose of the, of the book of Revelation is to show us God's work within the created order, even though, as we've often mentioned, it's under a curse, we are still redeemed from that curse. We will be bruised, we will be bumped, our outward man will perish, but we are secure because we have been sealed. And those who are the sealed of God, are those who have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, and therefore nothing that takes place will overthrow what has been gained for us in Christ. That's why these angels are, are said to, to, to hold off. They are told to hold off until the saints are sealed. Now, do what you do. Do what you do, but those who belong to the Lamb will not be utterly destroyed. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our God and our Father, we come to you in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, thanking you again for the gift of salvation in Christ. Thank you for the continual and constant reminders that we belong to you. We have been sealed by your Spirit, and there is nothing that we can experience in this world that can undo what has been done on our behalf and that can overthrow what has been conquered and secured by the blood of the Lamb. We are mindful of the hurts of your people. We are, mind, we are mindful of the things that take place within the created order. Even in this, our present moment, we are experiencing uh, health concerns and health issues. We are experiencing turmoil and we are experiencing unrest even in our political systems and in the, our communities. But we trust you, and we know that there is nothing that takes place within your creation that is outside of your sovereign will. So strengthen us to know 
who we are and whose we are. Strengthen us that we would be faithful witnesses and faithful servants of you, even in the, the period of, our, of, of, of great trial. Thank you for the comforts of your spirit as he illuminates to us the treasures of your grace set forth in the person of your Son. We ask all of these things in the sweet and saving name of our Savior. Amen.